All right, welcome everyone to Cress's Corner. I think it's number five. Um, today, we have Moritz from uh, Lightspeed uh, joining us to talk about the VC world. Uh, again, this the whole point of this is to find people that I am interested in and subjects that I'm interested in and talking it through with people that are experts in those areas. That's kind of what I do for my life, for my business. Again, so hopefully not to be PR fluff. Um, of course, some of the ones we've done in the past have been a little bit too PR fluff for me. But uh, anyway, my my goal is basically to understand how Moritz and Lightspeed fit within the ecosystem and how he's helping the industry and innovating and moving the industry in the right direction. So why am I interested in Mr. Moritz at Lightspeed? Lightstreet or Lightspeed? Am I messing this up? Lightspeed. Lightspeed, okay. So the VC, I think the VC landscape has changed pretty dramatically over the last six months, um, and it seems challenging at best, I would say. Companies were funded that, in my opinion, make absolutely no sense, and most of them at this point are probably starting to run, not most of them, but a lot of them are probably running out of money and out of funding options, if I were to guess. Um, and my problem here with the industry right now is like, from a VC perspective, what is actually investable, Right. The mobile market seems uninvestable because of Apple's mobile gaming recession uh, continues and other changes to that privacy will happen. Blockchain is on a respirator right now and all these um, these issues now coming in terms of uh, regulatory issues are going to be even more, could be even more challenging uh, going forward. VR died once, looks like it's dying again. <laughs> so, And the, the only life support it has from Facebook, and I think Facebook's about ready to pull that plug pretty soon. Um, and then the console PC space is amazing and huge, but it's hit driven and very expensive and tough to pick winners at the VC level. Um, and that, you know, that leaves kind of enabling technologies, which I think are interesting, but that's kind of a crapshoot at best from my understanding. So I guess the broader question I want to know from Mr. Moritz here is how do you navigate the VC business? So we have Moritz, um, who is a partner at Lightspeed, uh, to hopefully answer some of my inane and rude questions. Um, he joined Lightspeed after three-year stint at Bitcraft, uh, started his career at IBM, I believe, for seven years, then got business degree, went to Goldman Sachs, which we won't hold against him because no one likes Goldman Sachs. And we, um, and then, sorry, then went to Bitcraft and then for three years, and now is at Lightspeed just a few, you know, what, six months ago. Um, so tell me a bit about your background holistically, and then uh, and then we'll go from there, Mr. Moritz. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. Um, should be a good discussion. You already touched on a lot of sore points in the VC uh, gaming industry, and totally happy to unpack them in, in detail for our listeners today. Um, in terms of background, I think the most important thing uh, to know is that I've just been a lifelong gamer myself I, I love this stuff i'm in it for the love of the game no pun intended um you know 20 years ago i was playing uh multiplayer online games as soon as i got hold of the internet we got connected rather late in that small town in germany that i was growing up in but once that happened uh there was a welcome escape into you know precursor of the metaverse might forever be a precursor of the metaverse um but diablo 2 was my game of choice and um yeah played that probably for six seven years five hours a day um financed my way to undergraduate and graduate education with uh selling 
predominantly uh, items okay. back then right. on eBay. So my first question for you actually is on this point because there was no ranking boards on Diablo 2 at the time, right? So uh, there were there was so there were competitive ladder seasons in the closed battle net. So there was a there was a there... game to get to level 99. Oh, oh, so it was a, a speed run to get to 99 versus there was no PVP. Yeah. I mean, it was like more like a 2-month, 3-month speed run depending on ah. on how far we are into the gotcha. ladder system. And so yeah. so basically and then also but, if but, but... if you uh, once you get to a certain point, once you get to a certain point, like there's a pretty tight knit community and I think I think you can, among those hundred that qualify, figure out who who has the upper hand at any point in time. Got it. But from from your background, you basically finished with the equivalent of high school and spent five years doing this before you went to college. Is that accurate? Uh, uh, not quite. So this was during high school. I did, in fact, delay uh, college by a year just to have more time and play video games more. My parents were cool with it at the time. They had actually not graduated high school uh, both of them so my bar was finishing high school which i did oh, your, but we never had your a, parents like a dinner table. or something i mean like why well, they just allowed you no, to sit there and like, play you know <laughs> games full time before college i mean you clearly had aptitude so, right like you were a smart dude they didn't care well i mean this is a, a whole conversation for another podcast maybe but i mean first of all the the vocational track especially at point in time was much more viable in in germany than it is in the united states so not having a high school or college degree was not might nowadays be the end of the world even in germany but certainly was not at the time when when they uh were going through their uh professional and academic career or maybe not so academic career um but yeah I, I did not actually have anyone in my immediate family who had gone to college. And so um, I did pretty well in high school. I even got a scholarship, a full-ride scholarship for uh, for any college, which, you know, college in Germany isn't particularly expensive, but a full-ride scholarship still helps. My parents and I actually rejected that scholarship because we thought we can't afford a scholarship. We thought it's something you have to pay money for. We didn't even understand it's something that um pays for school so anyway i mean there was there was a different time but yeah i also not only did i delay for a year i actually also didn't end up going to a proper college um i i did a mix of a vocational training and a you know community college ish education that was basically a bachelor's degree with an asterisk in partnership with with ibm and only later when i applied to stanford for business school I realized that uh, the U.S. higher education system did not uh, fully Except... recognize what I thought <laughs> no was a bachelor's degree. All so right. I, I did my graduate degree in the U.S. without having a college degree, if you want. So, <laughs> All right. The first chink in the armor, I suppose. Um, but uh, OK, so you ended up going to IBM where you're doing strategy work for a while. Um, and then you went to got your business degree. Then you went to Goldman where you did the gaming practice. Like what deals were you doing at Goldman? On gaming, yeah. So my my big deals at Goldman were actually for what I was brought in and and hired for, which wasn't gaming, but enterprise IT. Um, so the big ones that I advised on were Dell's acquisition of EMC, which I still uh, think stands as the largest tech deal ever at sixty seven billion dollars, wow. and then IBM's acquisition of Red Hat was I think a thirty four billion dollar deal, which was special to me, just given my own tenure at IBM. 
Um, and then we basically were ramping up the gaming practice. Um, I think transactions during my time, we did, uh, we sold Zenimax to Microsoft. Um, the Roblox and Unity IPO happened in around, I think, 2020. This is just when I left oh, uh, Goldman for Bitcraft. But yeah, I mean, transactions really picked up, I think, 2020, 21, 22. And then mo it's the same practice that then later advised on Microsoft's Activision right. uh, acquisition Which, or at least attempt thereof. Yeah, it looks like that's not going to happen. Every day it seems to be less and less likely. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't follow okay. that as much as I used to. Um, seems like they're gonna get the most pushback from the UK regulator. Um, but yeah, I don't have a particular opinion beyond what what what's uh, what's publicly out there. Yeah. So anyway, the first douchey question I have is like, if uh, like you were only a Bitcraft for like three years, that seems like a short time at a VC firm. I maybe I'm wrong, right? But you establish relationships with these investments, and you like. You build these this trust, and you're on boards, and you're like you're doing your thing, right? As a VC, so moving isn't it kind of pretty traumatic to move from one VC to another, like in the midstream, or is that not true? Yeah, I mean, like I think as a general career advice, you probably only want to join a VC firm when your plan is to stay there forever, or at least for a long time. Um, also, internally, the way uh you know carry and and investing works there's certainly an incentive to you know as a as a vc professional uh solve for long stints um even even just financially speaking in addition to obviously relationships forming with portfolio companies with investors uh at the fund and that was certainly my plan um and you know don't don't get me wrong and i think we've also interacted during my time at bitcraft like we we, we were loving what we were doing. It was all started from a place of passion and care about the gaming industry at a time when, you know, gaming VC wasn't really a thing yet. Like Bitcraft was one of the few first specialist gaming VC firms around like 2019, 2020. There really wasn't much gaming venture capital when, when all this started and then scaled this together with the founders to... Uh, the most active firm in 2020, 21, and 22. So my my plan, and you know, my plan was to stay there. I was very happy there. I still in close touch and good relationships with all my my former colleagues there. Um, but rather serendipitously, Lightspeed came with an opportunity to lead, build, and lead a practice for what is a very established firm in the in the global vc landscape a generalist with now i think over 18 billion dollars in capital under management um long history both in enterprise and consumer investing and frankly an, an offer that was a bit too good to pass on just in terms so, so it's, basically it's not, all about, not financially so it's all about the benjamins yeah. right at the, at the end of the day like is it kind of like like that like because it's the same opportunity well i i don't know no, I and it, it's all it's so financially. It's always very hard to compare these things because um, you know a, larger funds are also hard to turn into um, you know ten x funds, fifty x right, right. funds. Like you can do that with a fund the size of Bitcraft. It's harder to do with a fund the size of Lightspeed. That's just yeah. a reality. And so I think financially these things are very hard to compare. But I think you know the opportunity to effectively build 
a practice um, to build a brand and kind of like put your own spin on this. It was very similar to the work I'd done at Goldman uh, to now do it again in VC. It was just very compelling setup. And, you know, with regard to your your comment on relationships, I mean, the, the my portfolio companies, a lot of our investors too, I'm still in super close touch with. And those are all relationships that don't go away. They might actually become commercial relationships again, because as you know, a lot of these companies seek multiple funding rounds uh, before there is an exit event. And, you know, we're, we're hosting events even this week and then uh, at DICE right. and GDC and yeah. so, all of these it, are welcome guests right. and, and, so, so and in friends that sense, of the family. In that sense, it's kind of like investment bankers, right? Who have all the relationships with the biggest companies or big companies. And so they can move and set up shop somewhere else and, and maintain those relationships. Like there's no, you don't get cut off from that. Right. So that helps. But my, yeah, I mean, like there's a, a bit of a different dynamic because a, lo a lot of the companies I invested in, I was sitting on the board. Yeah. That's obviously no longer the case. Right. So these are Bitcraft's board seats. So the, the advisory role and the involvement is a different one. But also when I left, I sent a very clear message to all my portfolio companies saying that, you know, if I can be helpful going forward, they, they should not be shy to reach right. out. And I right. think all of them I've been almost in like biweekly touch with. Since and, I and big, since I big, big craft's cool with that, I guess. I mean, it's also in their interest, right? Like yeah, these are all right. things that will maximize the success of their portfolio companies too. Yeah. No, I mean it makes sense. I guess the biggest challenge I would imagine with Lightspeed is because you're a small uh, fish in a big pond, right? Where gaming is not a vertical that they are focused on, and so versus Bitcraft, which is basically all they do. So there's a chance that they will not give you the resources and the, or the funds in order to do what you need to do? <laughs> or do you have a certain allocation of a certain amount, dollar amount that, that, that you can use towards gaming? Uh, so this, all the investments across sectors and geos come out of big early stage and growth stage funds. There are no hard allocations for any sector right. per se. Um, but if you just look at what they've done historically, um, you know, Lightspeed's no stranger to gaming. They've made uh, 30 investments, over 30 investments, I think over $300 million of capital deployed. If you just look at the last two years, some people actually online have gone through the exercise of uh, looking at the last two years and then multiplying that and, you know, assuming a certain follow-on percentage to kind of like back into what is possibly the, the allocation for gaming. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of capital, not just in the early stage, but also in the in the growth and late stages that we can deploy in gaming. And I think, you know, Lightspeed wouldn't be running around with big PR, a soon-to-be-launched gaming website, practice, sub-brand, team, etc., if they weren't serious about this. Got it. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals.
If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. AppsFlyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them, they know their data. Head to appsflyer.com slash benchmarks now for more info. Um, all right, so this dovetails nicely into where are the opportunities, right? Do, I mean, do you kind of agree my assessment of the landscape? I, mean, I know it's overly yeah. really cynical, but I, 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 it just seems like a scary place to be to invest right now. Um, and and you know, I have lots of questions around this, but like, what is kind of the strategy for you guys going forward, right? Given where we are versus the past two years from an investment perspective. I, so I agree with all your cynicism and I can also go into kind of like the same buckets of where there's opportunity and where things are a little bit trickier or where things from my perspective have been or seemingly overfunded in the past two years. I think where I disagree is it's not a scary place at all. It's the largest consumer category, it's growing nicely. It has strong tailwinds, generational and technological tailwinds that, you know, will will bring us probably 10% growth over many years to come. Um, so there's certainly value and uh, and and an expected increase in value. And I, I also think that a lot of interesting innovation is coming from smaller players versus inert incumbents. So I think I think the the tricky piece is rather finding those pockets of opportunity, but I don't think there should be any question that there'll be a ton of amazing gaming companies that are born like, you know, in this, in this 2020 to 2030 uh, vintage. I just, yeah, I guess from a total addressable market perspective, like the TAM calculations, because part of the reason I want to talk to you is like, what is the fundamentals of venture capital investing in general? Right, like this is a broader topic, right? But like when you're looking at the market, and you have your pre-revenue, pre-earnings, I mean pre-employees in in the early stages, right? It's like you basically, I guess, one of the key metrics has to be how big the market is for a particular product, right? Or a particular service or whatever, right? Um, what what are they going after? I mean, the founders are important, obviously, that's a huge part of it. But like, what market are they going after, or what market they're creating? And so that's. That's my biggest concern with VC right now is I just don't mm-hmm. see where the new markets are for them to compete in, right? So as I said earlier, you know, VR is dead, mobile is tough, you know, and and the AAAs are basically dominated by huge companies that have in unlimited budget, basically. Um, so do you see other markets that I'm not thinking about that that have opportunities for smaller companies? Or 
Is yeah. it just them chipping away at the big guys with innovative, cheap products that 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 can gain market share? Or I don't know. Tell me what you're thinking. That uh, depends a little bit on on the subsegment, but like let's let me take you through how I kind of like segment the landscape and what I what I'm focused more on and what I'm maybe focused a little bit less on. Um, but you know, also like along, you know, just just one commentary on on your previous messaging. I think TAM is somewhat overrated. Um, like you know, these TAM slides, I don't really particularly care if something's like a five billion or ten billion or twenty billion dollar or a hundred billion dollar TAM. It's always more helpful in the early stage to think about things bottom up versus top down, and and rather look at a pipeline of the first customers paying 10k 20k a month for whatever it is that you're building and kind of like building building up from there if you're looking at a studio if you if you have the right people and the right talent they will inevitably go after sizable opportunities and the right talent from my perspective is an extremely high bar so i've um you know to your comment on on PC console and mobile. I've personally shied away from mobile investing in the past, almost out of preference. I think now it's a really difficult uh, area to invest, not just because of ATT and all the, the stuff that's going on on the distribution and marketing front. I also think for investors, especially in the early stage, the coupling between talent and commercial success is uh, is very loose in mobile compared to PC console. We hope that there is somewhat of a coupling in, in PC console. That's the other thing that, as I think VCs in, in gaming, we have to admit, there isn't enough data. There, there haven't been enough AAA funded, like VC funded game studios of, let's say, you know, 30, 50 people with the same amount, like 30, 50 million in, in funding to go and release a AAA PC console cross-platform game very few like second dinner is is right. one that came to market and they seem to be doing pretty well um but this industry is too young to have this verdict and so uh i think we'll be a lot smarter on if whether this all works in about a year or two when another 5 10 15 have come to market but on the game studio side for me it's 80 percent quality of team and the quality of the team is the question I ask is effectively have these team members who are starting out and I love to do game studios in the seat. You know, we were not shy to lean in early, uh, frankly, between the seat, the A and the B. Oftentimes, the only thing that really changes for VCs is the price, which goes up by yeah, but two, three, four, five wait, X. But aren't you but way, too, wait, aren't you way yeah. too big to do C and, and A? Like, we have we have allocations for everything. We have a we have an early stage fund. We have I think eight hundred million allocated for seed. So so, dude, that's you yeah, know that's all all, all big all big companies, all big companies are all big companies are small at some dude, point. You're never gonna get uh, any sleep, dude. You're gonna be boiling the ocean till you're no till you're... because no no I tell I tell you why not because the bar to get seed game studio funding is. Has your founding team, has your game designer, you know, game director, or or or, or also and or the producer, been uh, one of the instrumental figures in creating a 
you know, AAA. commercially successful game yeah, previously. It. And the air gets extremely thin. Okay. And I, I don't mean I, has has been has has been involved with, but has okay. been instrumental in, i.e. So created the franchise, ran the franchise, right. has been the leading game designer of a game that previously grows 200 million, 500 yeah, million, is, a billion. This is one of my big questions. And I've asked guys at Bitcraft and Play and all these guys about this Anton stuff. And uh, like... What, what, what seems to happen at these VC firms, particularly the bigger ones, is that you create frameworks so that you immediately say no to like 90% of the shit that you see, right? And so by the... It's way more. It's more like 99.9. Okay. Okay, All right. Like I get about 10 pitches a day. And you don't, you, you like, never so even see these pitches, right? You have like your minions, like look through it to make sure that... No, 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 no. I look at every Get out of here. There's no fucking way, no. dude. That's impossible. No. That's impossible. No, it's not. No, it's not. You get 10, 10 pitches a day. If they don't attach the deck, you ask for the deck. If they attach the deck, you look at the deck. It literally takes about a minute to look at a deck. And, and so that's 10 minutes of your day. We work 8 a.m. to like 8 p.m. at least. And so that's a fraction, actually, of the work of the day. Right. So let's, let's actually get to doable. that because I'm actually really curious about this as well. Like... What is what it does? What do you do on a daily basis? Like if like there's no investing going on right, right. now, right, or or very little, right, compared to last year. No, that's not tr that's, that's not true, true either. All right, all right, all right. Let me take a yeah. step back. I think actually actually right now uh, Q1 there's a lot of I mean, so far what I've seen uh, in January and February, I think the in terms of supply it's well in the life, and capital is there, so things no, will. Capital is definitely stuff. there. There's no doubt, but everyone's yeah. kind of. I feel like people are kind of like bracing for impact or worried about stuff but no all right so honestly so far into the year not at all the case from my from where i'm sitting yeah. okay so as a venture capitalist you have like you know the biz dev hustle right you know the hustle of it all right dealing with other vcs dealing with uh, you know like boiling the ocean type biz dev work right then you have like strategy right then you have like reporting your work and then due diligence on these deals and I'm sure the tons of other things that I'm missing. Like, could you actually give me a guesstimate as in a given month, what percentages you're doing in each of these things? Like, I, I just am curious yeah. as to how a VC's yeah, a, day or month is kind of allocated. Yeah, it's a good question. So people will do this very differently. And I think people also work to very varying degrees. But I, I... I work so much that I have to take care of myself to some some extent. Like this, this easily bleeds into like weekends, and you know, I usually start at six a.m. and I usually don't switch off my stuff before nine p.m. Uh, that's at least Monday through Thursday. Um, Friday is a little more, little more chill, but like I have sometimes like ten hour blocks on a Saturday. That's just like everything that's left over from the work. So I think in terms of hours per work, it's probably easily eighty plus um and then oftentimes days are segmented like today until now i've had 30 minute blocks uh from 7 a.m till here and i have six more after we're done and then kind of like 5 p.m i can actually start any work that requires real thinking Focus. like no diligence would be possible before 5 p.m on a day like today for example um and so how how does that break down um, the, 
the thing that's fundamentally different here than um, than what I used to do at Bitcraft, a big chunk at Bitcraft was also um, raising money into the fund because some that you know companies forget that sometimes too. We we fundraise just like startups to those investors, whether that be family offices or um, you know high net worth individuals, and then for larger funds institutional investors, sovereign wealth funds, strategic investors too, you know, many of the big gaming companies are also investors in funds because they like to use VCs as the eyes and, and ears of the early stage landscape. So for for a lot of funds, that's probably like 20%, 30% of their work is fundraising themselves. Luckily, even though I enjoyed that very much at, at Bitcraft, um, that's no longer the case at Lightspeed. They have a very strong integrated fundraising function so kudos to those guys for just bringing in uh, over seven billion dollars last year which will be fine for another year or two um and uh so that that's pretty much non-existent for me nowadays which i'm not sad to lose that part um and so if we have a hundred percent pie you know i'd say thirty percent forty percent is um, meeting companies, looking at pitch decks, spending time on diligence, asking questions, looking at the answers. Um, and I would include in that also just screening the landscape. Like if you are a VC who invests not just in the seed stage, but also in series A and series B, then things don't only come to you. You can also see what else was funded in a seed stage or a stage. And then so you can you can see if these could be possibly interesting candidates for the next round. So I'd, I'd include that all in like, in like this looking at like pitch book and, and seeing what deals have been done. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, not not pitch book. Like fun, funds of our size have a lot of custom analytics tools too. So, you know, it, at Lightspeed, we have a team that's just focused on building analytical tools for investors to help them with activities like this. Um, so we try and have a bit of a data advantage oh, see, too as a firm. Um, but yeah, then, uh, you know, a lot of our deal flow is actually the first look at a new venture. So how... For that, you can't ha really have an outbound motion. Uh, for that, you need to build a brand and a presence. And that is, I think, what you described as you know, networking or biz dev. Like, for me, at, at Lightspeed, that's now what, what is gaming at Lightspeed? What does it mean? Like, are we, right. How do we present ourselves? What is our unique advantage? And why do founders want to go with us? How does that get articulated? Does there need to be a specific Lightspeed gaming website? What is all the PR that we're doing to tell even people that we're now so focused on gaming? You know, we did that in, in January and had a nice splash across various outlets. That all takes time too, right? And so uh, events, like on Thursday this week, I rented out uh, Dreamland in Malibu, a, a location that I love. I wanted to do something a little bit differently. Malibu? Than, than, you know, just Really? Oh yeah. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great location. We have a big concentration in Santa Monica anyway. You have Riot Games here. You have um, Activision Blizzard here. And so, so what, what's the instead of bringing what, what, them together for what, some... What's, the, what's huh? the purpose of this meeting in Malibu? Uh, it's bringing 100 gaming founders together. Uh, rented out the place, uh, rented some 
classic arcade machines and just having a okay. good time All right. together. So this okay, this is the, this is the part that's really interesting. So you're basically putting these things on in order to attract current and former employees from some of these bigger companies as potential founders, right? Or they're founding, they're currently founding. many, many of these, many of these are founders. Okay. Many of these are portfolio companies. Some of them are actually Bitcraft portfolio companies to your kind of like earlier point. Um, and so, so basically you're going through your entire Rolodex or getting people to do that, right. And finding the people that you really want to have invited, selected these group and send them out these invites to come so that when they decide to fund their next round or they start their new startup, their first call is to Moritz at Lightspeed. That's uh, that's a mildly cynical, but otherwise fair that's summary. Not cyn- that actually wasn't cynical. I, I I got lots of cynical things to say, but that one is just makes sense, right? Okay, I, I yeah. I'm just I'm just and trying then, to understand what it takes in order to build the pipeline of quality that you would need to be successful in this in in this yeah. world. And it doesn't. Uh, most of the 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 truth is that the deals that come to be ultimately investments are so much more likely to come through something like this versus, you know, a contact form on your website. Got it. Or them it's, just it's reaching just, out. It's just true. To yeah. a, a myriad of, of VCs. Yeah. Got it. I got it. Okay. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. To since, we're, since we're on the topic of throwing killer events, um, there's another one uh, that we're labeling Gaming CEO Summit uh, in the frame of uh, GDC, uh, Game Developers Conference, and, in March. And so this one I'm co-hosting with my previous colleagues at Goldman. And uh, in partnership with Microsoft, Sony, and Niantic, uh, we're inviting 200 gaming CEOs, uh, rented out a big place in San Francisco. And this is 100 uh public and scaled private company CEOs on the one hand, so today's leaders effectively, and then the other 100 are what we think are the 100 most promising startups, CEO event only. Should be good fun too. That's insane. See, you know, I, that one's epic. And this is this this one we're splitting cost with Goldman, Microsoft, Sony, Niantic. So I, I, I get Microsoft, Niantic, I get Microsoft and Goldman. I don't really get why is Niantic involved. Niantic's the leading company in extended reality gaming. So, I mean, if you, I think we can all agree that that is the next platform. The question is just probably on the timing. Uh, mobile AR for now, obviously, they, in, they, in the they, absence of they, they, much anticipated and always delayed AR glasses. Well, I mean, Niantic, do they really, I mean, do they, they have like location technology, not AR technology, right? I mean, it depends on what you call AR, right? Like people call this mobile AR. Anyway, that's interesting. So you pay for this out of like some marketing budget at Lightspeed to do these events and and grease the wheels of the industry. It's money well spent. Yeah. I it sounds no, it sounds amazing. And of course, my invite got lost in the mail. It's not even it's not even that. Yeah, maybe check the spam <laughs> folder, Eric. But like if before before you get too upset, I'm happy to have you. Obviously, <laughs> no, I, I'm really not that upset. But it sounds like an amazing event. Like. Uh, I, I, and frankly, I go to these type of events all the time and it's really fun and they're all good fun. Right. And you meet really interesting people. I mean, I, I mean, is it, it's a pretty, it's also like, we're not there to kind of like run down some corporate agenda or pitch or anything. It's really, it's really just making sure that who we think are the most interesting and most promising people in the industry at least think of us when their friends ask them 
who would be a good person to reach out right. to, to at least consider. So <laughs> the goal for all of this is not to weasel our way into some deals. Very rarely. Um, it's really first and foremost just to be on the radar and to be a name that comes to mind when someone of that statute asks around or when some of these companies are thinking about raising their next round. Got it. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. The hard part of selling your video game? Well, that's simply letting the community and players know it exists. That's particularly true if you're about to launch a new game and don't have an established brand yet. What's the solution? Well, it's creating your own dedicated online presence that lets you connect directly with players, gather signups for your email campaigns, and communicate things like updates about your game's development process or new features. You can build an online storefront, grow your community, run pre-orders and subscription programs, and generally bring in more long-term revenue by selling game keys, virtual goods, or bundles. Especially for indie developers, pre-orders are underutilized lifeline, but any size studio can benefit from them. That time block before the game is fully released, it's prime opportunity for building awareness and getting early stage pre-launch revenue, which can be critical for sustaining your project throughout the development cycle, and it helps you forecast your game's first year sales. Exola can help you accomplish this with Exola Game Sales. Want to know more about how to get started generating more revenue for your game? Visit exola.pro slash game sales, or go to the link in the podcast description below. Speaking of brand and marketing, um, I have to admit, I have never seen in my career of 25, 30 years, someone like has marketed themselves as well as you have. Like I, I looked at your LinkedIn oh. profile <laughs> and I am just in... And all the things that you're doing, the marathons, the, the all the charity work and stuff like that, I, I, I am in awe, in awe. And I, and, and I mean this, really. I mean, I, it is like, it is amazing. And so, and I know that's part of like the whole thing of like introducing Lightspeed, introducing yourself to like a broader audience. And I think it's amazing. But I have to ask, like, do you like have a PR agency that does this shit for you? Or are you basically, <laughs> is this the architect of your own design? Because I need, I need the better PR. I think because <laughs> anyway, do you yeah. do it all so, yourself? 
we to be honest like the the push in january i was almost a little bit scared how good it turned out um because we i think of the of the outlets we contacted we actually had a hundred percent coverage we we reached out to like 20 or 25 and they all covered it and and a lot of them with uh profiles and kind of like custom write-ups and interviews um so yes i'm very lucky to have an awesome pr team marketing and pr team at at Lightspeed, a team of three ah, okay. that has relationships with all these okay, outlets. Okay, okay. And so the way the way I wanted to do this was, you know, obviously we're shooting for some some good, like well-established industry outlets, but at the same time I didn't I didn't want us to lose track of where the audience really is, which is a lot of the gaming native uh sources like you know game makers, um Navic, Invest Game. And so I want to make sure that that we had all those covered too. Um, you know, even I, I was reflecting about this a little bit because I think what worked out very well was the marketing team coming in with the initial relationship. And then in some cases, we actually didn't immediately get a response or, um, you know, didn't get the response we, we wanted. I'm also someone who's just ruthlessly persistent. And for some of these outlets, probably pinged like 10, 15 people before you found someone who actually really likes the topic and really likes the story. And then some of them that we thought were dead, I just didn't want to be dead. So I I went the extra mile and some of them came around with actually some of the favorite articles. The information before they put out this thing was more or less a, a no slash maybe. And then, yeah. Right. So, 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 yeah. I mean, as most things, as most things in life, the more you want it, the more likely it actually happens. You know what it is, and then you can't. I can tell you what doesn't work. It's just like have some agency or like outsource. It's similar to reaching out to VPs through like bankers, like middlemen, middlemen of any sorts. Like they're never gonna convey the same magic or conviction as you actually hustling to get in front of someone and then like not letting them rest until you at least have a chance to speak on the phone or speak over zoom and then have them make fall like have them fall in love with you just because dude you're you, you're know. a fucking hustler dude that's what it is like you don't yeah. give up i mean i that's impressive dude i i wish i had more of that skill set <laughs> um <laughs> All right, that's really interesting. Well, actually, but why are we why are we talking about gaming and opportunities? And uh, we can come back to that. Like, it's still we still need to run down what's yes, hot. Sorry, what's yes, that actually exactly what I was going to do because we got off topic. So, yeah, what what okay. is hot from your perspective? What hot, are you look, what hot. are you looking for out there? <laughs> what is hot right now? What's not? Uh, that's my that, those are personal perspectives here. Hot. I think content and IP is always hot because that's the biggest chunk of the industry. That's the hardest stuff to get right. There's a big uh, volatility and like a big, you know, tidal risk. And so most game studios will go to zero. I think it'd be ridiculous to to state anything else. And that's historically been the case. It will always be the case. Uh, they get they get to zero or close to zero. Right. You might get your Correct money Correct me back. if I'm wrong yeah. here. Historically, before the last three or four years, that's why there wasn't much VC investing in gaming. Was it's too hit driven? Yes. Versus, but also well, but games game studios have also changed. There's a few things that changed. First of all, you can now raise quote unquote only. 
30 to 50 million dollars and actually produce a triple a game because you can now use tools that help you get there with quote unquote just that amount of money when like a lot of triple a shops are spending a, a multiple of that and also have a multiple of the talent and you can win on fun it won't look as super polished um, but it also doesn't have to be at launch because the other thing that changed is games become platforms and become games as a service business models where you can launch something that's good enough and fun enough and then then build on top of that from there. I mean, just look at, I mean, Fortnite's a good example, right? Like the first but Fortnite's a, initial Fortnite's not a good there. example because it was funded. Why not? Epic has unlimited money. They're just like any other big publisher. Yeah, but like to 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 but to create this like first version of Fortnite, like you can do that with with the right team and 50 million for sure. Look, Moritz, that's not the way it went down, right? So they spent what, six years building the the initial version of that game and they it bombed, 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 right? And then they had a separate team that kind of built this, you know, mode to copy PUBG, right? And you're right, that probably development cost next to nothing relative to the money yeah. that's paid. And so you find but, you find these people, you find these people that did that, and then see if they'd be up to find yeah, something it, new. All right, but it took iteration. It wasn't just like one. Yeah, okay. but like now, and so that's the other thing you want. You want your game studios to iterate with the audience from the get go, right? Like I think Blizzard, for example, has notoriously been a company that's just you know released games like it's done when it's done, right. and like we bury ourselves in the hole for seven years. We build something epic, and then you throw it in the market, and people gobble it up no matter what. That's not a fair representation of how they were interacting with their audience pre-launch. But you know, let's let's say it was uh, right games, different philosophy and. And a firm that has trained hundreds, thousands of developers uh, in um, in really building games very in very close interaction with the audience, and we see a lot of the Riot Games uh, founders literally throw stuff in front of their friends and family like two months in, where it's like, oh yeah, all the heroes are, are not even they're not even like they don't even have arms and legs; they're just blocks, and like ignore all the UX, but just the this and then like, is this more fun is that more fun and then you kind of go from there it's really awesome to see some of these teams but have and, we seen um, you know, theory craft have we seen any successes coming out of riot x riot and x diablo people it's that you know it's or x, it's, um, it's we haven't had enough time okay. to actually fund them and have them go to market will we see major successes come out of riot in the next two years launching i'm deeply convinced not if not i could just pack my stuff and stop what Keep I'm doing. people yeah. out of Riot, not Riot itself, you're suggesting, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people who 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 left Riot, who are building games. Like Second Dinner, right, right? There are a few second... extremely... Right. Theory Craft is right. one. Rate Base is another interesting right. one. There are honestly plenty. Yeah. So, yeah. But same, same is true. Same is true for Epic Games. Same is true for... Um, Blizzard, same is true for Infinity and Respawn. Yeah. I mean, my only pushback to that um, generally from doing this a long, long freaking time is that um, a lot of the games and things that they do within Riot or Blizzard is based upon established player bases that they can leverage and, and, and communicate with, as you suggested. When you go outside of that ecosystem, you don't have that kind of leverage anymore. But in your defense or your argument, I think would be is that like something like Second Dinner, they basically brought that audience with them. <laughs> you know, it's like, like I mean, Marvel was a great IP, but they also have tons of people that are, that 
that love what they do. And I think that kind of helped them as well. So yeah, I guess you're right. We'll see how, how many of them can scale and build successful businesses. The other point that I would make is like, you know, things like Valheim, which was an amazing experience, by the way, great game coming mm-hmm. out, lasted for what, two weeks, right? Because <laughs> they didn't have the resources to support it. Yeah. Um, so that's the other concern I have with these type of, uh, you know, software as a service startups, right? Do they have the resources to maintain? Um, so, I mean, the, so the, the best teams that get funding check the boxes in terms of having previously built and led games as a services before they also from the get-go think about what the content cadence is and the maintenance is and like what the life ops will look like and um, also what distribution and marketing will look like like you know taking vc funding also means you're no longer taking publisher funding unless they come in in a later round and so that has implications for how you even want to think about marketing and distribution some of the biggest game studios vc funded studios are even building publishing functions in-house um, you know, but that, that you can only do once you really reach a certain right. scale. Um, right. so, so anyway, so, so PC, I want to come back to the original question. So we at least yeah. give that to the, the audience, right? Um, uh, I think PC console cross pro, uh, platform, AAA gaming content and IP hot. My I'm perspective. with you on that. Um, mobile. I mean, if, if, if there's only hot or not, then I would have to choose not. Right, right now, I think it's a really, it's really hard uh, to make a case for tight coupling between talent and future success on the mobile side. It seems a lot like a, it's a lot wilder west than this is PC console, and then layer on top of that, ATT and distribution issues. Right now, it's tough. Um, not so hot. Also Web3, not so hot. Also XR, you mentioned those two. I think on Web3, what we've seen in the last two years, um, you know, was a bit of a, and, you know, everyone, it's easy to just say like, oh, the valuations were crazy. And, you know, and like, you know, many funds, including Bitcraft, were very active on, on the Web3 front. There were also a lot of very good bets that were made in Web3. You know, and they're not all bad. Um, but I think the two, things that were wrong or tough or at least um you know need to get need we need to get right on web3 gaming before it can really take off a twofold one the business models were i don't think i don't think a lot of these business models were like predatory to begin with i think some were obviously rock poles and never well intended but a lot of them also just didn't get it right because it's really hard to get right but you will also know that like the last business model we changed we made to free to play that also just didn't happen overnight and like for the industry to figure out that pay to win is a big no-go but uh pay to have a funny hat that looks cool in front of your friends and you'll ask your mom to also get some money to buy that same cool party hat like that's apparently the way to go for microtransactions and oh, 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 oh. Uh, and, and the free-to-play business model. Uh, hold on a minute. Oh, so oh, I, oh. <laughs> that's 95% yeah. of the revenue generated from the store is pay to win, right? Pay to progress. Like I think they're very... St- uh, on the mobile, on the mobile side. side. Yeah, but you're on the mobile right. side always. Yeah, I'm a... I'm, I think everything I say, I'm always a little but bit. But even more on the console side, the like PC. all the FIFA, Madden, all the NBA 2K, you know, it's all pay to win, right? Pay to progress. But, but 
but I, 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 I'm with you. I think, I think the, I think the overwhelming, the overwhelming microtransaction revenue on the PC console side is not pay to win, but it's, it's cosmetics. But maybe it should be. You know, maybe, <clears throat> maybe that's what. Yeah, but like these, these are things like no one thought. I mean, I don't know at the time. I doubt that many people thought that cosmetics would be such a treasure trove, right? 100%. And so, but but so we okay. same same on the Web three side. Why they you can't get this right in the first year? So I think some of this needs more time. I think there's there's a chance to build sustainable, viable economic business models, and so that's one thing that needs to get that people need to get right. Is that some? Is there any? hard roadblock to get there i don't you know i don't i don't see why so, that so, would be the case the other no 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 i'm going to continue now so so we could we make some ground on this question um the other thing is people were just fine with folks building video games that didn't know a thing about building video games and i think that is the biggest mistake that was made Praise be. Um, Praise i look at a speaking I, truth i look at a web3 game studio and fine that you want to use web3 but you're still a game studio so let's come back to the basics so what is your design director what who's you know right. who's who's responsible for production what have they built previously building games is super fucking hard and and honestly the web3 rails are not easy but also not super fucking hard so it's it the big challenge here is still building a a, a great game that will have uh, that will attract eyeballs for a long time, 10 years plus, because it's a media format. And so the, the value comes from the sustainable attraction it creates. Like Web3, from my perspective, is more a value distribution topic than a value creation topic. The, the value creation comes from building something that is fun in a long-lasting way. So fine if you want to be a Web3 game studio. I will basically look at you as if you were a game studio. We can talk about the quality of your game design shops and what you've done previously. And then we can also talk about your backend uh, and, and other topics. And then after all of that, we can talk about whether you want to use Web3 or not. Like, honestly, if you're building something AAA, there's like a one and a half year or so of pre-production and then you go into production. There's enough time to build in Web3 if you down the road decide that that is something you want to do. But you, what you won't get around, what you can't shortcut is building an outstanding fun video game and so that's that's the biggest i think that's the bigger mistake even bigger than the business models that that was made is that also something that is unsurmountable no if if the right if the right people go after the web3 opportunity there's no reason why this would be a hard block for for right. future right. success in web3 gaming all right so console pc software as a service uh, is a positive Mobile is out for now, or like kind of, you know, nascent figure that stuff out. Web3 seems like a no, if I were to read between the lines, but but possible going forward if you get the right team in front of you that has a good idea, has a good game. It's just basically Web3 becomes an enabling technology to some degree to do what they want to do type thing. Yeah. So what what is interesting in the meantime, of course, are our infrastructure plays yeah, right. in, in Web three. Right. 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 <clears throat> um, same same with XR. Like you mentioned, XR. You know, XR always feels like it's five years away from mainstream for like ten years now. Um, and yeah, you know, I think this 
last half year was a little bit sobering again, if if anything, on that front. And so, um, you know, as a VC funding a VR game studio, you're basically funding a game that at least today is serving an audience of an active install base of, I don't know, something like 30 million devices or in, in, in I, that I wouldn't range. define that that is active, but maybe 30 million has been sold. <laughs> maybe, maybe like 5 million are active. <laughs> so, but yes, I, I yeah. think I, we're on the same page. So it's, it's, it's tough to see a venture return case yeah, right. there. And then, so it all becomes about what are your, what's your personal conviction about the, um, the development of this install base. Um, and that's, you know, that's where I think, you know, e even with generous assumptions, we're all excited about XR. Like, I think there's no doubt that the next platform is gonna, like, I'm, I'm excited about an AR future. I think screens, there'll be a time where we make fun of screens. I hope so. I'd be surprised if not. I think that's more likely to happen than not to happen. But the tricky thing to get right as a VC is always timing. Yeah. These are ten-year funds, yeah, and so, right. so is the, is the, if the mainstream moment is not in the next three to four years, then it's too early for this fund. And I think, unfortunately, on XR, that's probably still the case. Now we are making AR and VR investments. Um, again, it's a bit more on the platform and enabling infrastructure that side. So, um, you know, another enabling infra infrastructure innovation we haven't talked about is is. AI and all the stuff that's happening on the procedural generation front. I mean, there's enough buzz about it. I just want to, for the record, that's a hot, uh, but also for the record, I think it's very hard to pick winners that are sufficiently uh, differentiated and not just building on top of existing, you know, mid-journey uh, stable diffusion. Stability AI is, is a, a great lightspeed investment, by the way, from the enterprise team and so it's the cool thing about lightspeed also is that i have these groups uh enterprise consumer healthcare you know healthcare less less relevant for gaming maybe but fintech when when we're looking at payment solutions um with experts who have been investing in ai computer vision uh consumer marketplaces uh, social networks for 10 years and um can be drawn into cases where it's not a you know, bread and butter game studio, which I'm comfortable looking at myself, but is more a gaming platform or gaming technology that intersects with other consumer or enterprise. How about, how about, how about ed tech? Are you looking, or do you have t teams looking at ed tech at all? I mean, it's a tough, that's a tough, um, a tough space. Yeah, we don't have, yeah. It's also, it's also a space where there haven't been a whole lot of breakouts. Like I Duolingo think. and um, what are the ones, you know, yeah, I mean, Duolingo is a great one. I, I, I think that's venture funded, right? I'm actually not. I'm not sure. Either, sure. To be honest, I just know. I yeah, just know my it's, kids it's not love a sector. that. Thing. I'm very experienced in. Yeah, no, this this like green owl is haunting me on my uh, on my language lessons. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Any other like areas of interest for you? So you're basically enabling technology. Yeah. So the way AAA console soft PC yeah, service. The way the way I look at it is. Game studios, I think that one we've discussed. Gaming platforms that basically look like consumer platforms, marketplaces, social networks that have a gaming component. I mean, the scaled examples are Discord, right, 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 Twitch, right. that kind yeah. of stuff. So this is something that that we're looking closely at. You together know what bugs with, me about those? It's like the, the business yeah. model has not emerged for any of those. Like they don't make money. 
You know, I think Twitch to this day is still losing hundreds of millions of dollars every year. It's like, I don't know. What, the, what is the business model for to, social, I mean, besides advertising, which Twitch I don't think likes to do, and Discord's certainly not going to do. Um, I mean, Discord's, Discord's Nitro seem to be working pretty well yeah. and, and continues to scale nicely too. But they're still super unprofitable. Or maybe you can't comment, but like... I don't know about super. Well, I, I will say that they're super unprofitable and I will, uh, <laughs> I'm happy to hear anybody else says differently. But uh, I know Twitch is still unprofitable. I mean, no matter what they do. <laughs> so um, anyway, all right. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That all makes sense to me. And then, yeah, so that's that's studios, platforms, and then on the tech side, we've discussed some of the, the tech stuff. But generally, I mean, tech extends into UGC technology, anything on the content creation front. Like, I'm also looking at novel forms of 3D creation, including volumetric, photogrammetry, uh, nerve, um, you know, so there's also there's an intersection between uh, 3D vision and AI that I think, you know, the, if you if you think about how we create 3D experiences, it's so different uh, and and so much harder than creating all kind of other media. Um, and I think that's there's a natural evolution that enables laymen to create stuff, and historically that's been text then images then video and i think going forward 3d is going to be the next yeah, thing I, th dude, that's, that's a whole just very easy it, to create for everyone in quality yeah, that's a whole other subject but i, I i'm I, I totally with you dude like there's just like there's been really the, the pain and agony it is to create a 3d world for a game is just too much it should there, there should be something to alleviate the bottleneck of what what of creating new worlds and and that is a huge opportunity that no one but there's a lot of innovation happening also on yeah, that I'm front. Sure. And I I'm think sure. that'd be yeah. really cool to look at, frankly. All right, but we got to go because we are running out of time. And I'm sure you're a busy man. Clearly, you're a busy man because you're going to be working till eight o'clock tonight um, or nine o'clock. Ideally, right? yeah. You clearly have no family, right? Or <laughs> Oh, no. I have, a, I have a loving wife who is an entrepreneur herself right. and uh, understands the grind. The okay. So we got to cover it from the both children, sides. No children yet. You postpone that. Children are. Uh, well, if we, if we if we do another recording uh, next year at this time, the answer might already be different oh, for that. Wow! Um, All right. And then we have a we have a lovely little Kavapu who keeps us entertained <laughs> until then. Okay. All right. So uh, last question: um, What are you excited about as a gamer? Right? Because you are a gamer and probably you know uh, have, are much better gamer than I am, I'm sure. But like, what are you excited over the next few years from a game perspective? Well. I, I hope that this Rocket League port to Unreal Engine 5 is, is happening soon. There will be a, um, a major event in my life. Uh, that's the only game that I play right now is Rocket oh, League. Get out. Um, Diablo 4 is coming out, so probably have to take a look at you that. Think? You know, um, five years of your life and sacrificing your education and <laughs> embarrassing your family, you've got to play Diablo 4. I don't know. I mean, I'll continue to embarrass my family. I know. So that, that That's the whole probably point. Probably not going to help with that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Cool. Well, it's been really good to get to know you and get to know what you guys do. Um, I'm uh, excited to see what Lightspeed ends up investing in. I mean, it'll be a real indication of where where, where your metal is to see what you guys invest in in the next six months to a year. Because I think 
Yeah, we already have uh, one exciting first investment that we will be announcing over the course of the next uh, three weeks or so. All right. Well, make sure you send me the article and I will mention it on the podcast uh, like when, when it happens and uh, see see how well it does. And, and I'll give you my two cents if it's for what that's worth. <laughs> anyway, awesome. good luck at Lightspeed uh, and good chatting. Thank you, Eric. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.